Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project, where purpose-driven leaders unite to change the game of life and business forever. Here are your hosts, Susan Hobson and Rob Kalvroski. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvroski. On this week's episode, Dr. Carla Fowler joins the show. We talk about Carla's journey from being a surgeon to an executive coach and also how she has a PhD in science and she uses that scientific thinking in her practice by getting leaders to use experiments to try new strategies. So if you're out there as a leader and you're looking to make some tweaks in your leadership, think about it like an experiment and test and iterate. It's a great way to apply the growth mindset to your work. So definitely check that out. For all things leadership development, one-on-one coaching, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com for all of that. And because of my TED Talk, I've launched a new website, HowToDealBoss.com, which talks about everything about how to deal with a bad boss. And it's the ultimate resource for navigating the challenges of handling a bad boss. We have a free ebook for all of you, as well as I'm giving you $100 off our How to Deal with an Asshole Boss program. Use promo code TEDxKumamoto for that $100 off. Check the podcast notes and I have it there. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And here's the interview with Dr. Carla Fowler. We are back. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski, and as always, the yang to my yin. Susan Hobson's here. Susan, how are you? I am excellent. I'm fired up. I'm excited. So let's go. Let's get this party started, shall we? Absolutely. And obviously, we have to start off with a quote, as we oh, always yeah. do. Oh, yeah. And so I have another one here from Carl Young, who's quickly becoming one of my favorites. I noticed Mr. Um, Young been making his way on this <laughs> stage quite a bit lately. And he says, the world will ask you who you are. And if you don't know, the world will tell you. Mm, tell us why you picked that oldie but goodie. Well. We'll, we'll, we'll see shortly with our special guest. I don't know how we start off. Doctor, doctor, it's a double doctor in the house. So <laughs> oh, I'm a, a double PhD. doctor. I love we it. We have Carla Fowler with us, who's the managing director at Thaxa Executive Coaching, as well as obviously formerly a medical doctor and a PhD as well. And the reason... Obviously, the reason why I use the quote about the world will tell you who you are is Carla obviously started her career as a medical doctor and a surgeon, and now she's pivoted into executive coaching. So it's incredible that someone um, who's obviously known herself and learned how where she wants to be in the world is also here with us. So without further ado, our special guest, Carla. Carla, how are you? I am doing great, Rob. And I love that quote. As soon as you said it, uh, I was like, oh, I have so many thoughts about that. <laughs> so <laughs> well, really good choice. Let's start there. <laughs> like what? What did, what did that uh, quote bring up for you, Carla? Well, I think um, I think a lot about like, what is the status quo or the default? And that we have a lot of kind of implicit beliefs or ways of being or kind of thoughts or patterns that are going for us all the time. 
And many of those are actually pretty helpful, right? Like we're learning beings and we grow and develop. And so a lot of that stuff has kind of worked for us. And, um, but then of course, sometimes we end up at that point in our life where it's no longer working for us in quite the way it did previously. Um, and, or we're just in a new type of situation that needs something a little different or extra. And sometimes that could be as a result even of success, right? Like we've risen through leadership. We are now leading at a different level. And suddenly, for example, our all our like detail-orientedness is like kind of getting in the way for us, just as use a really concrete example. But um, I always like to think about how we sometimes have to make those implicit beliefs really explicit so that we can actually see what's happening for ourselves. And, you know, one of those default things I think can be like who we are, what our identity is. And if we don't sort of aren't willing to be more explicit about that to the world, you know, when the world asks or when we have a moment to make a choice or make ourselves visible, uh, I think that it's very easy to just keep going with the default. And so anyways, those were (laughs) just a few of the thoughts. So when did you start thinking about that question yourself in your own lane? When did you start thinking about your implicit beliefs in regards to who you are? You know, uh, that's that's really interesting because I when I look at my background and of course, one question that is like a very obvious one is like, wow, like how did... (laughs) How did you get from, uh, you know, being on an ap- academic medical pathway and then uh, really pivoting towards executive coaching and performance coaching? And I think one of the implicit beliefs that became really explicit for me was about identity, but also passion and like what what was it that I was actually really passionate about? And I think. Now, looking back, I can very explicitly see this common thread of that I have always been fascinated by high performance and like loving those challenging environments, like wanting to push myself and kind of build that sense of capability. And so looking back, I can see that, uh, you know, I was always really curious. So I approached it kind of like a scientist and always willing to use myself as a guinea pig (laughs) and just tried to keep putting myself into these sort of challenging places. And obviously, a lot of those were in sports, like earlier in life. So I was a runner in high school and then road crew in college and then went on to play a lot of ultimate Frisbee for my entire 20s. Um, But I think I was always really interested in that. And similarly, from a professional standpoint, I was really curious about people and um, loved the challenge of medicine and thinking about how to learn that, how to advance in that field. And, um, and so kind of followed that. And implicitly, I just was kind of, I sort of knew where to go. I knew what what my jam was. I knew what I was like, English and history. No, not my jam. Like, (laughs) let's not do that. (laughs) And, uh, but but then, you know, you you get farther along in med- medicine. So, like, I got through med school. I finished my PhD um, and uh, matched into a residency program, which in the U.S. is kind of that next step. And I uh, got my first choice, like, was very excited to learn from everyone, you know, super high performing at Stanford and got there, started the internship, 
And of course, this is when you really stop sleeping, you know, <laughs> um, you know, like 16 hour days were kind of a regular thing. And um, you're actually really practicing as a doctor and really taking on that identity as a doctor. And I think it was at that moment where I noticed that, okay, there are some things about this that are super thrilling and high performing. Like when you have your hands, you know, in someone's chest that's open. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're like, okay, it's, it's getting real. And mm -hmm. uh, this is, I am really being a surgeon at this moment. And, but also there were parts where I looked around and I was like, wow, this is not how I would design a system, for example, mm -hmm. to be high performing. Mm -hmm. And of course, um, di in, in different health systems, it, it works differently. But I would say, most health systems have some challenges. And of course, um, in the US, like we, it is very expensive and lack of resources and people to kind of keep up with that demand is a mm -hmm. common problem. Mm -hmm. And so, but you know, I think there were just some things where I thought this feels like it is suddenly going against some stuff that's really important to me from mm -hmm. a value standpoint. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you build a good team? How do you treat each other? Uh, on that team, if you were wanting to really produce the best results, um, not just like in the operating room, but the sort of human dynamics that are happening. Um, and, you know, when you realize that you're like, oh, the way I will do this job will eat me alive because, you know, some of the ways that I would want this to be high performing, just there isn't time for it. There isn't space for it in the current system. And I think that was sort of when I had to look and say, what is it you really want? Like, is doctor your identity? Or is actually there something else at play that really needs to get expressed here and that you could actually use to help find your way? Because of course, leaving medicine is not a popular thing to do. Everyone says like, are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I think that was definitely a moment when... I had to sort of say, what is it that's actually driving you? Is it that you desperately want to be a doctor? Or actually, is there something else that is below that? And are, and are you going to act on it? That, that all super loaded uh, question. <laughs> that all awakened in you spontaneously in that moment? Like those questions you started to ask yourself? It definitely was not one moment, right? Like, but over the course of that year, I think was was where, you know, the temperature is is going up. And for the first time, you know, that you're looking at the challenge and you're saying, is this the right kind of challenge for mm, me? Great question. Like, I love that like, question. Well, and I tell me if you guys resonate with this as people who have done challenging things in your life, like we mm -hmm. know that it can be so wonderful to build our capabilities mm -hmm. and that there's always something to learn, mm -hmm. but there's also like different flavors of challenges. And sometimes we actually have to sort of focus and ask ourselves, is this the right challenge for me? And not talk ourselves into something just because we're like, well, I know challenges are good for me and I'll learn something because there are any number of things we could go out and challenge ourselves with. And so it's kind of worth thinking about and picking the right ones um, versus just saying the harder it is, the better. Cause I, I'm definitely known in my family as they're like, 
Carla will say, like, oh, is it challenging? I'll take two. Make it a double. <laughs> and our joke in our locker room is that we're masochists. We're just a bunch of masochists. Perfect. Yes. But we're not <laughs> actually masochists. But we're not actually masochists. So can we try to explain what that is for us, Rob? Because I think that totally resonates with me. I grew up with a father who would not let me quit anything. And please well, believe yeah. ho- hockey was my sport. And please believe I yes. tried to quit several times, but I would not allow to quit. The rule in my house is you start something, you finish it. Yeah. And so forever I grew up like that, where I was like, well, I just mm-hmm. can't quit. Quitting is not an option for me. I don't have that choice. <laughs> right. And so that definitely led me into some spaces and places. I have Crohn's and colitis that manifested with that belief system in place. So yeah. I had to, in my reformation and healing process, I had to obviously come to the beliefs work myself so I can start to decide, is that true? Does I really have to accept every single challenge that comes my way? Right. Well, and it's so interesting that that idea of like, we don't quit, we don't stop until it's finished is a wonderful like example of like trying to say, can we make finished less implicit and make it more explicit and actually ask the question of like, okay, well, what would it actually mean to finish hockey? Yeah. Like, because then you can actually say, well, there might be many of different kinds of finish points, but maybe we should be explicit about that. Is mm-hmm. it become a pro player, which mm-hmm. like, that was it for me. You did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it also could be, have a great college career and like, and then move on to some other exploring some other things. But we often, if we don't define it, then you could still be playing hockey. I mean, you could still be going because things don't always have a really explicit conclusion unless we give it one. Mm -hmm. But that's so interesting. Well, that's what I had to learn how to do. I had to learn how to create these things called boundaries where I had limitations to how far I would go with the challenge. (laughs) But how about with you, Rob? Can you speak to your experience with some of this? Because I know this resonates with you. Oh, yeah. I mean, my parent, my dad had the same thing. Like, you don't quit. You have yeah. to finish things. And, like, that was everything. Mm-hmm. And it was stuff that I I still didn't like. Like, it was like, you know, I wanted to quit um, French class. And then I wanted to quit this other stuff. And it was like, no, you don't do that. Because, like, you had to take it to the end of high school or something. Yeah. Right. And then, but even, even like, I don't know, a few years ago, I had a lot of these thoughts about like, oh, I should just do an Ironman because it's hard. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you're like, oh, I should like, you know, do this crazy thing, which I'm like, I would do if I actually wanted to. But then you're like, do I even like Carla, like you're saying was like, do I want to do this? Or is this just like the sickness in my mind? <laughs> and, and it's, what it is, knowing now what it is, right, is like there's beliefs about, like I didn't feel like I could accept myself. And so the part that was formed to protect me was this element of like do crazy things. So then, you know, someone will, will be Validate like, Validate oh, you. Amazing. Oh, right? my God, you're so strong. Look at you. Praise you. Right? Like, that's some of why we did it back in the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was and the validation. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the deeper understanding, Total agreement here. right, of that allows you to look at 
a challenge or something and be like, you know, it's not for me. Maybe it's for someone else, but not me. Mm-hmm. So I think to answer that question for both Rob and I, I think it needs that there a challenge is worth pursuing if there's something meaningful about that challenge for you. If there's something That's there right. that speaks to your core set of values, right? Like mm-hmm. then there's something in that challenge for you and that you're meant to pursue it. That's how I would interpret it. How about you, Carla? Mm-hmm. What's your rule? Well, it's uh, I one way I put it with clients is this idea of like is it is okay to struggle with something, right? Like it, it's often a sign of something we will look back on later and say, "Wow, I grew a lot," or yeah. "I learned a lot about myself during that," um, and I maybe even accessed new modes and abilities because I went through Yay. that. Uh, but I often like to say it's good to have purposeful struggle. And and I think that's sort of what you were saying is like, is there some meaning in this challenge that's specific to me? How do I think I will grow as a person? What do I think will be pulled out of me as a piece of this? Is the discomfort that I will go through uh, something that uh, is going to make me stronger? Or is it discomfort that is sort of going to break me down? Uh you know, it's, it, you know how, well, with training, so we can all talk about training. We've all been there, <laughs> done that. Yep. You know, we know that with physical training, part of the point is, of course, there's some um, breakdown of muscle of muscle tissue, right? And that mm-hmm. that is part of how it rebuilds stronger. And of course, we also know that uh, there is obviously a limit to that. And that um, certainly when you go past that, the training actually is not helping us go forward. It's, it's actually creating injury returns. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I often, it's less about a rule and often more about like some of those questions that I think are helpful. And these are like some things I'll bring up with clients if they're trying to decide like, is this just stupid <laughs> what I'm doing right now? Like, am I, is this have no purpose. Is this just dysfunction? And for example, it's time to leave or something like that. Or am I just kind of moving away from something that actually has some value there for me? And of course, there is no, there's no rule for it. But I think there are questions that really help explore and help people get some clarity about, you know, stay or go, is it worthwhile? Um, And then I think the other thing I often bring up is, what, what's the cost to staying and how could you treat this as a little bit of an experiment? So maybe you don't have to decide right at this moment, but are there ways that you could, um, you know, without uh, taking on harm or, um, you know, what would be the experiment you'd run? How long would you want to run it? And what are the things you might try to impact or do differently during that experiment to say, how does the struggle feel uh, if I do that? You know, does it change it? And um, I think that's, you know, I, I have had clients who uh, really like were almost to sort of a breaking point. It forced a behavioral change for them in their workplace, which had some dysfunction. And suddenly they actually learned a new mode and way of being that, you know, they knew they weren't going to stay long term, but because they were like, I'm just going to run this experiment and be really different in this, instead of trying to fix everything, like, could I grip a little less tightly to what's happening? Mm-hmm. 
and just know that this is not my ideal and I'm not staying forever, but could I just let go a little bit? And would that just improve my own resiliency in this moment and really find new things like new discoveries? And so um, that's one of the things I like about the experiment because it creates some safety that we don't run experiments forever. Like they're bounded and kind of creates a mode for people to um, just learn things about themselves, even when they're in kind of like the struggle that's, well, not so great. So Carla, I'm, I mean, this begs the question, when you were in residency, what was your experiment? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is such a good question. Let me think about that. Um, <laughs> You know, it, it's interesting. Um, I think some of what I was doing during that period of time, um, what, one of the challenges I think for the, in that situation for me, I'm not actually sure I did a good job of running experiments. So I'll just be perfectly honest. Um, and I think part of that was because, because it was sort of dealing in healthcare and with kind of high stakes sort of decisions Mm -hmm. and people's well-being. I think one of the things that I found really challenging, which is ultimately, I think, why why I chose to leave, like I gave my program a lot of notice and just said, hey, I'm going to finish the year, like, because this is a team. And I know that, like, if a resident leaves, like, you're one person down and it's just worse for everybody. Mm-hmm. But, like, fill my spot. There are lots of good people who <laughs> want to be here. So, um, but I think one of the things that made it challenging to run experiments for me in that moment was just the sense of uh, that. to change my behavior felt a little like, um, for example, I was always over hours. It was chronically over hours because if I saw work that wasn't getting done, I'd do it (laughs) because it wasn't just like work. It wasn't like, oh, there's a memo that needs to go out. It felt like, oh, if there are orders that need to get in for patients, or if we haven't seen a patient all day since this morning and like, they're they're not particularly in crisis and like they're not a super active case, but like it's lonely and terrible to be in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And so I would always like go visit them at the end of the day before I would go home <laughs> because that just kind of seemed like the right thing to do. And all the different experiments that I think I thought I could run felt like, unfortunately, they ran really counter to my values. And I think mm-hmm. that was probably part you could argue that was the data that I got when I kept trying to think about what would I change when the data is, I'm not sure I see things that I can change based on values I currently have. Um, and um, certainly um, there are other sets and different ways to have values that are still good values um, in healthcare where time is tight. Uh, if you think about it as a system versus the individuals, but I think that was really difficult for me. And so I'll, I'll just be honest about that. But um, I think I got the data I needed, which was that I was like, ah, well, if that's how you feel, if you don't feel adaptable, then you definitely need to consider something different where you maybe have more adaptability uh, because maybe the stakes aren't as high or um, you just uh, you have more room to to shift on some of those things. So, Yeah. So that's the call, right? The call that that awoken inside of you in that moment was curiosity around what would it be like if I did have 
time to sit with my patients, mm-hmm. right? At, at the end of yeah. the day and continue that conversation a little bit in terms of how they were feeling and why. And is that mm-hmm. what immediately led to, well, maybe I could do that in the conditions of entrepreneurship and coaching and how did we get there? Great question. So the first thing I did was I caught up on sleep because I'm telling you, like, it took me about three months to have a creative thought in my mind. Like, I can only imagine going on four hours of sleep a night is just not like great for our brain function. No, um, anybody's had children then, can attest to that. To go in and diagnose <laughs> yeah. and cure patients. Just, just saying, the insanity doesn't make sense. Not <laughs> at all. Sense. It does not at all. But I do, um, back to my yeah. question, how did back we, yeah, after the, mm-hmm. the, the, the sleep death, right, yep. was, was replenished and all that active recovery, right, was, was gained, where did you start to open up in terms of questions around becoming a coach? Like, what was that inspiration yeah. for you? Well, I think the inspiration was really looking back and trying to answer the question of like, all these different places you've been, like, why, why have you actually been there? You know, if you really are honest about your motivations, um, because clearly I could imagine being something other than a doctor. And there are definitely people who like, that is not the case. Like they, that is the dream and what they want to do. And so I kind of sifted back through everything and realized that the common thread had always been a fascination with high performance and, um, I think that what that looks like is like, you know, like in fifth grade, do you guys remember that? Did you have, uh, you guys are in Canada. So we have the presidential Bias. physical fitness test. <laughs> do you have something similar? We have jump rope for heart. Right, Rob? Oh, I love that. Okay. I don't remember. I did well, something our test in, was in grade ju- seven. I think. Could we, could we do the jump rope for heart, right? For like a whole recess or something like that. That was the way they did it. Oh my there. gosh. That sounds way more intense. This was just like a, a, a like seven different little events and you yeah. had to sort of meet a mark for it. It was like shuttle run, a sprint in a straight line, like a pull-ups, Got you know, it. S- sit and reach. I don't know. There was probably something else. But yeah. This is the NFL combine for 10-year-olds. <laughs> this is perfect. It was the combine for 10-year-olds. <laughs> okay. So um, anyway, so I, I was doing good at all the events except – the shuttle run. And it was the whole like changing directions piece. Cause I've always been a pretty fast runner, but like didn't necessarily have that agility uh, that's present in a lot of other sports. And so I actually like self motivated, went up to the elementary school cause we lived nearby and like set up like some pine cones and then like practiced, like practiced until I figured out how to change directions because I was just like, I want to meet the mark. Like, I want to figure out how to do this thing. And, um, but I think I was always sort of looking around, trying to understand more broadly, like, how is it that people are great at things? Like, when someone is really good at something, what is it about them? And what are sort of the tools or the techniques that people use? And, um, And so I think that has always just been something where whatever I was doing, I was also thinking about it on that level and Mm -hmm. being, and feeling really curious about it. And so of course, like athletics were a natural outlet for me and that was running in high school. Um, and then later I definitely 
went into college wanting to be a college athlete and wasn't probably quite fast enough to run beyond like a division three school. And so um, went to wanted to go to Brown. So I went there and they had a rowing program that um, is like very good, very, very good program. And I was like, mm-hmm. they take walk-ons. Like they sent out a postcard recruiting people wow. ahead of time. And I was like, where else can you walk into an arena and learn, like learn from people who will go to the Olympics, right? Uh, Who, you know, recruited, they obviously had recruited athletes also. Mm -hmm. Um, But so that's just an example of, I was always attracted to these environments where you could be immersed with other people who were really, really good at what they were doing. And, um, and that was this common thread. And, um, I think I was coaching long before I was actually coaching. So because I was so interested in it and I had this natural affinity of like knowing that when I did really well, I felt good. And I just sort of wanted that for other people. So, you know, if I had a peer or a colleague who was professionally trying to sort something out, I was always kind of was like, yeah, let's problem solve this. Like, let's figure out what the strategy is and, and how you're going to go do that. And so. I think it was really looking back at that common thread, as well as understanding that I had been in school for so long. I had so much training that I had this clarity that it was like, no more training. Like you have a good brain on your shoulders and and your background in science actually taught you about how to think about an unstructured problem and how to create structure out of it. And so kind of heading in out of like a formalized medical practice into a more entrepreneurial and behavioral practice, but not within that regulated field of medicine, suddenly felt like it was like, that is actually the right growth step for me. Because I know how to be in a system. I know, obviously, how to jump through all those hoops and excel at that. But this is actually the thing that will probably pull the next level out of me. And it was totally scary. So this wasn't a like one of those things <laughs> where it's like, oh yeah, I got that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, it was totally terrifying, um, you know, going from a very systemized training, like it's like train tracks in medicine, you know, it's mm-hmm. difficult, but you know, the path is clear. And, um, but it seemed like, I always had kind of had my own ideas about what I wanted to do. And it was like time to give myself space to do that and to really say, what are all the ideas from performance science that you want to bring into designing a method to work with people who want to do really hard stuff and um, and everything from the strategies, the execution and the mindset? Um, you know, how do you want to incorporate that? What's going to be most useful? And how do you want to turn that into a business? So that's, that's how that happened. (laughs) That's amazing. And I mean, Carla, we have to ask you if there's anything you want to tell our community of leaders, what would that be? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a great question. You know, it's interesting. I, uh, in terms of leadership and thinking about leadership, uh, I've, you know, had had experiences of being parts of teams. Obviously, they were very much in the academic and the medical space. Um, also been on sports teams. I think some of the most valuable things that I saw leaders doing, and I, 
I don't know that I ever had a leader who, you know, sometimes people have that leader who just inspires them and encapsulated everything like they want to be as a leader. I don't actually know that I ever encountered that. Um, but what I have identified is some characteristics of things that I thought were really the most valuable things that certain leaders gave me. And like for all the imperfections that we all have, we also have something really valuable to share. And so I think the first of those characteristics was um, helping me develop clarity and an understanding of what was really most important or most valued in, in the thing we were doing. So um, this was my PhD advisor. And I would walk in sometimes and sort of say, okay, I think I can do this experiment and this experiment. And he'd be like, Carla, why are you doing that? <laughs> <laughs> Not rhetorically. Like he really did want to know, but he was like, you know, I think you're kind of dotting the I's and crossing the T's of other people's work. And what we really like, what you really need to be thinking about is like, what is the impact you want to have? What is your unique value add going to be? And you to do that, you need to figure out like what's really most important here, not just what's the work you could do. And I think that is something like it took work, it took some struggle. <laughs> um, you know, that's not the low hanging fruit. And so, um, but I think it was one of the most valuable things he taught me. And I think when leaders can help their teams have that kind of clarity either because the leader sort of establishes some of that so the team can see how do we win? How do we contribute? Why do our roles matter? And like, and where are we going? You know, how do we, how do we score? <laughs> yeah. And I think that is one of the things that I found most valuable. And, um, and I think it's something, there are lots of wonderful characteristics in leaders. And that's one that I, I don't see as often, but was really important to me. Um, I think the second was uh, that I think some of the best leaders um, that I did learn from helped me learn how to deal with uncertainty, or at the very least, put me in scenarios where I would feel uncertain, like where there wasn't a playbook, there wasn't an answer even that they could give me. And really to sit in that and to kind of learn how, how I was going to be in that. <laughs> um, what were my own tactics for dealing with it? And um, that was very true in science because, again, you show up every day and your whole job is to figure out the answer, not to like regurgitate the answer from a book or any of that. It was like, yeah, you don't, you don't know how this uh, biological system works. And that's your job <laughs> is figure out how you're going to figure it out. So I think when leaders can help their teams have moments where it is uncertain and both as a leader model, uh, kind of that vulner the vulnerability of like, yep, guys, I don't know the answer either. And so part of what we need to think about is how are we going to run experiments? What risks are we willing to take to learn something? Um, you know, and even how are we going to support each other? as we deal with the pressure or um, kind of the discomfort of being in this situation where there may be high stakes and we don't know how it's going to turn out, but like we, we, we can't just, um, we're not going to get anywhere meaningful unless we're willing to go through. And so 
I think that is really the second characteristic that um, really helps teams grow and is um, kind of a unique thing that I really took away from leaders in my life that um, that I got to work with. How about with the mission that you're on as a high performance leadership coach yourself now, what is the legacy that you want to leave behind with that mission that you're on? Oh, such a great question. I think that hmm, there's one sort of tactical piece, and then I think there's one sort of more overarching piece. The tactical piece is I love helping people understand that we have lots of tools that we can use, um, but they don't have to be identities. So like, for example, um, in the field of kind of performance science, I feel like there's all sorts of ideas. And sometimes people sort of take them on as an identity. Like an example could be like, oh, I have the power hour morning ritual that like, I just do it. It makes everything work. And they sort of almost take that on as an identity. Now, certainly having a morning ritual can be very helpful as a way to do some of those most important things in the morning. But if you, for example, moved across the country and suddenly your time zone shifted in a way that that didn't work out, uh, it's a tool. And there are other ways to get that piece of performance done that don't necessarily have to look like that. And so I love to give people sort of that freedom to not think like, oh, there's like a single thing that's going to work and to say, no, we have a lot of great tools and picking the right tools is like part of the game um, for what's going to help you get where you want to go. And uh, versus like, no, I have one idea. There's one strategy that is the end all and be all performance strategy. So I think I have a philosophy that I like to spread because I think it's just more empowering for people. Um, that, but the meta overarching legacy, I think, is that I love to get people asking the question, what do you want? <laughs> and like feeling free to ask themselves that question, right? that freedom to say, you do have a choice. And again, like, we don't always, there's luck involved. There are all sorts of things involved. But when we are actively choosing, we are still putting ourselves in the best position to like actually get what we want in life. And um, I think I've actually uh, always been sort of in tune with that for myself. And that's not to say that like um, I perfectly timed it with, you know, what was happening. But I think I, at at least a regular enough frequency, asked myself, is this thing you're doing right now, is it still what you want? And if yes, then like, great, keep going. But I think that's why the moment medicine, because medicine was what I wanted basically up until I sort of got into the residency part of it and realized I was like, oh, okay. This in the reality of what it's going to look like is no longer kind of a good fit for me. This is really difficult and really inconvenient, but I, I need to make a different choice. And so I think that I love, I ask people this question all the time in my coaching. And I think that um, I always, I th see it as the rate limiting step for actually getting what we want is knowing what we want, spending time thinking about it, spending time um, getting it out of more of an implicit dream place where it doesn't actually have to fit in reality 
to saying, if I actually tried to translate that dream, like, what would that look like? And, um, and say, it might not look as perfect as it looked in my head when it didn't have to obey the laws of the physical universe, but is it still pretty good? Okay, great. Let's do it. Love I'm still it. waiting for, what is it, to live in another dimension or something? <laughs> How do you know you're not? <laughs> Just kidding. That's on another podcast. Uh, that's right, where we talk about uh, infinite dimensions and infinite uh, that's numbers what I mean. of us having infinite different conversations. Right. Um, but uh, getting us uh, outside of the physics hour, um, obviously for folks out there, if you want to connect with Carla, we've dropped her LinkedIn in the podcast notes. And you can also head over to thaxa.com. That's T-H-A-X-A.com. It's in also in the podcast notes as well. Carla, is there anywhere else you want folks to find you? Uh, I think those are great places. Awesome. Awesome. And then obviously for us, if you want any leadership coaching, one-on-one -on -one mindset coaching, executive programs, all that stuff, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com. And if you're on the podcast app, hit subscribe and leave us a rating and review. We'd totally appreciate that. Susan, is there anything you want to leave us with today? I love this. I love this discussion around knowing what you want and choosing what you want and realizing that what you want changes. Hello. <laughs> That's the very nature of the beast, right? Like the human experience. It's the nature of our bodies. We're constantly evolving in ourselves. Oh, hello. Obviously, our personalities aren't that much different, right? And the evolution of who it is that we are in the process of becoming. I find that so inspiring, right? Like that very notion yes. that you can wake up any single day at any single age and that can change. Woof! I know our audience is definitely going to love that and resonate with that. Absolutely. And for me, where I want to go with folks is about that choice of what you want and i got a quote here from dick schwartz and he says Ooh, self is a spiritual essence within us and around us like a field that can quiet that thinking part of the brain and for you to truly understand what you as self wants that's where you need to go just quiet all the nonsense and then you can finally access what you truly want. And also what will become clear is how you can go and get it. Carla, thank you so much for joining us. It was incredible to have you. Rob, Rob and Susan, thank you so much. This was really a great conversation. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you all next week. Bye, everyone.